Welcome to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds, a weekly podcast for pharmacists, physicians, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners who are interested in learning more about clinical pharmacology topics. I'm your host, Sarah Thompson, Director of Pharmacy Education and Academic Affairs at Mayo Clinic. To claim pharmacology CE credit, or to get a copy of presentation slides, visit ce.mayo.edu slash pharmacy podcast. Toxilizumab has remained the mainstay for treatment of cytokine release syndrome, CRS, after receipt of chimeric antigen receptor T-cell or CAR T-cell therapy since its advent. However, the data in refractory CRS has sparked interest in alternative agents such as siltuximab and anakinra for management of these side effects. These agents target different pathways in CRS, presenting a possible advantage over toxilizumab. In this discussion, pharmacists Devin Stonerock, Divya Khandekar, and Uzo Abajue delve into the pathophysiology of CRS and immune effector cell-associated neurotoxicity syndrome to investigate the role of these alternative agents in treatment. To set the stage before we get started here, we're going to be talking about, uh, our title is What's Best for CRS, but we're going to be talking about CRS and ICANN's multiple toxicities related to CAR T-cell therapy. This will be more of a discussion, facilitated discussion than a debate on three main drugs. The learning objectives for this presentation are first to describe and understand the basic pathophysiology of our two main toxicities, cytokine release syndrome, or CRS, and immune effector cell-associated neurotoxicity syndrome, otherwise known as ICANS. Uh, we'll look into some of the primary literature for three main drugs, tocilizumab, siltuximab, and anakinra, for the management of both CRS and ICANS, and then discuss some of the advantages and disadvantages and cross-compare those different medications with regards to treatment. Here's some definitions we'll use throughout. Uh, for those that aren't familiar with these, we'll try to familiarize you as we go throughout with the definitions, but for reference later. So first, I'd like to start off by talking about like what is chimeric, chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapy or CAR T-cell therapy. So CAR T-cell therapy in itself is an immunotherapy at baseline. Um, what we do is we take a patient's own immune system, their own T-cells, through a leukophoresis procedure. We harvest these T-cells, send them off to a laboratory where these T-cells are then designed to express a CAR or a chimeric antigen receptor. I'm going to point out this car is this middle section here, and there's really three important components. The internal and intracellular domain on this side, uh, there's important components are CD3 zeta domain, CD28 or 41BB, depending on which CAR T-cell product we're talking about. And the design of that is to send a signal downstream into the cell for division and pro proliferation. On the outside, the extracellular side, this is the other important region, and it's what's designed to target a specific antigen on the cancer cell. So the commercial products available right now either target CD19, this is for multiple lymphomas, or BCMA, and the target is multiple myeloma in that case. So these cancer cells express those specific antigens, whether it be CD19 or BCMA. The CAR T cells recognize those. A signaling cascade is transduced downward those cells can proliferate and persist, so act as a normal immune system in the body. And then the other important component is the transcription and translation of different cytokines. Uh, the two important ones that the CAR T cells themselves release are interferon gamma, represented in yellow here, and interleukin-1, represented in purple. 
downstream of that, these cytokines, just like uh, any other acute illness, activate our adaptive immune system, activate other components of the adaptive immune system to release cytokines, ultimately resulting in apoptosis and death of those cancer cells. There are six different commercial CAR T cells currently FDA approved. Uh, the landscape on this, though, is going to more and more FDA approvals and moving outside of lymphoma and multiple myeloma. I'll just briefly introduce you to this table. Each of the CAR T cell products right now has a very long and confusing name, so we usually abbreviate them. Axacaptogen silylucel is, for example, abbreviated Axacel. And you'll see that the co-stimulatory domain, that middle part on the first figure, can vary depending on products with CD28 and 41BB being the ones that are on commercial market today. On the far right column, I have the landmark trials that led to approval of the various agents. That's a mix of phase two. Some of them now have phase three trials. So getting into our first CAR T cell toxicity. So these cytokines that are released from the CAR T cells go on to activate other immune cells that go on to secrete more cytokines. And what can happen is this kind of cyclic process of immune cell activation resulting in what we term now cytokine release syndrome or CRS. Low-grade CRS, uh, we generally as well tolerated in okay. This is very much like an acute viral or bacterial illness. Patients present with fevers as the defining feature, uh, can have fatigue, rigors, et cetera. Now, when things get a little bit more acute is with severe symptoms or high-grade CRS. This is generally grade three or higher CRS. And patients end up needing ICU level of care, so developing more of a septic-like picture, hypotension, hypoxia, oxygen, or vasopressor requirements. And we'll get into some of that today. When you think about CRS, this is important because we're going to talk about ICANS too. The duration or time to onset is generally in the acute period. So depending on the product you look at, it's going to vary. But generally, I expect CRS in the first two to three days after CAR T cell infusion. It can occur earlier than that, and it can occur outside of that window. It's going to depend on the product, but that's the general window that I expect that to happen. Duration is typically seven to eight days um, for low-grade CRS. Usually in about a week, these patients improve, but again, can vary depending on which product you're looking at in the specific clinical trial. So ICANS, formally, if you look back in the studies that we'll talk about today, referred to as just neurotoxicity, uh, is also known as immune effector cell-associated neurotoxicity syndrome. It commonly is preceded by CRS and can co-occur with CRS, or it can occur by itself in the absence of CRS symptoms. It, but it occurs in a relatively high rate in our patients. So 20 to 70% of patients, depending on which product and which trial you look at, will have some level of ICANS. Low-grade ICANS commonly presents as uh, general neurologic findings, aphasia, confusion, impaired motor skills. Uh, we do writing tests, as we'll see on the coming slides, to assess that. But the whole idea with ICANS, if you draw your attention to the figure on the right here, is that we think that these cytokines that are being released, they can cross the blood-brain barrier and kind of within that confined compartment that we can't get drugs into to treat CRS can proliferate and cause this immune cell activation there, resulting in this subsequent neurotoxicity. In severe ICANs, uh, this is life-threatening illness and patients can present with seizures, cerebral edema, or even coma in some cases. Again, these patients usually need ICU level of care. A key distinction from ICANs from CRS is the time of onset is generally later, uh, four to 10 days on average, if you look across the CAR T cell products, and the duration is longer. So this can happen out to two to three weeks after and persist with regards to neurotoxicity or ICANs from CAR T cell therapy. So to put this in more of a visual uh, 
representation. When we give CAR T cells, the thing I didn't tell you yet was we actually give chemotherapy up front. So for three days with a two-day break in between, we call them day negative five to negative three down here. A conditioning chemotherapy regimen is given to deplete out. We call them lymphodepleting sometimes chemotherapy regimens, the T cells that are persisting and allow these CAR T cells to come in and rapidly expand without having competition from those local cells. On day zero is when we do the CAR T cell infusion. Expect CRS kind of in that first initial period, onset of two to three days. It can occur later, depending on which product you look at. And then the onset of ICANs is a little bit later with the potential for overlap and often does overlap with both of those toxicities. And it will vary depending on the CAR T cell product. So in 2019, so if you go back to the older trials, uh, 20, before 2019, there's a lot of different definitions used for cytokine release syndrome, neurotoxicity, and there was no consensus rating or definition of CRS or ICANS. In 2019, the American Society of Transplant and Cellular Therapy, or ASTCT, came together and set a kind of standard of care for grading of CRS and ICANS. CRS, uh, the to have defined CRS, you have to at least have fever, so that's across all grades we can see here. Uh, the other two components are hypotension or hypoxia, and the grade of CRS really depends on, with hypotension, your level of vasopressor requirement, where we can see if a patient's on a vasopressor, they're automatically grade three or higher, and hypoxia is all driven by oxygen requirements. So the more oxygen a patient needs, the more severe the CRS, and these patients, again, grade three or higher, usually requiring ICU level of care. The same thing is done with ICANS grading. It's a little bit more complicated. Um, the important score here is the immune effector cell associated encephalopathy or ICE score. Uh, this is a basic score that's calculated and each institution might have a different way of delivering the score and how frequent we have patients do this, but it's a basic neurologic assessment where we have patients do things like naming objects, uh, writing a standard sentence. So we can see that handwriting changes over time and those fine motor skills change to be able to grade the ICANs. So this is an important component of going into grading ICANs with the higher scores being associated with lower grade ICANs, um, and then a number of other components, including depressed level of consciousness, seizures, motor findings, elevated ICP, etc. Again, with grade three or higher ICANs, usually these patients require much higher level of care. You get neuro neurology consult services involved, etc. So there's a lot of information on this table, uh, but here's the CAR T cell products again. And the thing I want to point out here is that there's some ways that we can predict CRS, um, whether it be disease burden, but also looking at which product is given can provide some hints as to incidence of CRS and ICANS. So if you look again at those co-stimulatory domains, we know that in clinical trials, at least numerically, uh, the CD28 co-stimulatory domain seems to have a higher incidence of any grade CRS or grade three and higher CRS. And the same thing is true for ICANs. Now, if I look right below it at a similar indication for lymphomas, uh, Lysacel, the co-stimulatory domain being 41BB, this is the most common one on the market, is associated with general lower all-grade incidence of CRS. 42%, so about half the rate as that CD28 domain, and grade three and higher CRS was relatively rare in that trial. The same thing is true for ICANs, where we can see a little bit higher numeric incidence, but definitely uh, respectively lower versus a CD28 co-stimulatory domain. Um, in general, uh, it's going to depend on which institution you're at, the grade of toxicity, which guidelines you're following, and which product, how 
management of CRS and ICANS would proceed. Uh, if I look across three guidelines, NCCN, ASTCT, and some of the European guidelines, they all have similar language uh, describing how we would go about treatment. So in its basic form, CRS, our first line agent, guideline directed is tocilizumab. Uh, generally for grade one, we could be between giving tocilizumab versus just supportive care alone. This is where things get a little bit more gray from institution to institution and depending on the product. But for greater two or higher, we're generally giving tocilizumab. For grade three and four, Divi is going to share with us a little bit of the nuance of where we add corticosteroids. With ICANS for grade one, generally it's just supportive care alone, uh, but we will see a switch where tocilizumab is not given, but rather corticosteroids become the frontline treatment when ICANS develops of grade two or higher. Now, I mentioned there's overlap. You can have both of these occurring at the same time. And the general rule of thumb is you treat the more severe of the two. So if you have grade one CRS and grade three or grade two ICANS, we'll generally give corticosteroids and vice versa. If a patient develops CRS but only has low-grade ICANS, we'll generally use tocilizumab. And then if we have grade two or higher of both, we'll generally be incorporating both tocilizumab and steroids. So that brings us to our first assessment question. I'll give everybody a minute to get logged in here. The question is, which of the following toxicities would be an indication for CRS treatment with tocilizumab five days after receipt of a CAR T-cell infusion? The options are fever, A, word-finding difficulty, B, fever and hypotension, C, or rigors, D. So it looks like most people are spot on here. So fevers plus hypotension automatically is grade two CRS. That patient's going to be indicated for tocilizumab, no matter which guideline you look at. Um, fever alone, not necessarily. I think it depends on the institution, the product. It could be the right answer in the right circumstance. Word finding difficulty is more of a neurologic finding. So in the absence of other findings of uh, CRS, word finding difficulty would be more ICANS treatment and steroids. And then Rigers, it falls into that same category, more of a neurotoxicity. So with that, let me hand it off to Divya to tell us about tocilizumab. Thanks for introducing the topic, Devin. So uh, I'm going to be talking about the first drug, tocilizumab, which, as Devin mentioned, is uh, currently recommended as the first-line therapy for uh, most grades of uh, CRS. Um, and uh, I'm going to be talking through some of the trials uh, that support tocilizumab uh, and uh, safety data. So interleukin-6 or IL-6 uh, is an important cytokine that's released by activated uh, macrophages. And the way it acts is it binds to the IL-6 receptor uh, on immune effector cells like lymphocytes, uh, leading to uh, production of more cytokines. And if this process is uh, uncontrolled, uh, you know, a patient goes into CRS or experiences a cytokine storm. So tocilizumab is a humanized antibody that uh, targets, you know, it targets the soluble and membrane-bound interleukin-6 receptor. And just to point out, it doesn't target the actual antibody, but more so the receptor itself. So it competitively binds uh, to the IL-6 receptor and prevents some of this immune effector cell activation, thus slowing down IL-6-derived CRS and putting brakes onto the cytokine storm or CRS. So the reason why most of you might have heard of tocilizumab is because it's been around for a longer period of time, and it's also approved in several other indications. So IL-6 and its receptor were first discovered in Japan in the 1980s, but the actual clinical development of tocilizumab did not begin till the 1990s. 
It was then approved by the US FDA, first for rheumatoid arthritis in uh, 2010, and then for um, several other FDA-approved indications uh, in that 2010 to 2017 time period. So this was also the time when our first CAR-T cell product, T-cell, was being investigated for uh, efficacy and safety. And um, part of this uh, safety testing was looking at sort what sort of um, side effects were associated with it, and then looking at different ways to manage these toxicities. So corticosteroids and tocilizumab were kind of the two agents that were used uh, for treating uh, CAR-T-associated toxicities in these initial trials. And this data together then led to the approval of tocilizumab for CAR-T-cell-induced CRS in 2017. So the dosing for tocilizumab is based upon indication. So for our purpose, uh, it is 8 milligrams per kilogram uh, in the package insert, of course, for a weight greater than 30 kilos. So that's most of our adult patients. And then 12 mg per cake for a weight less than 30 kilograms. The package insert does not provide any guidance on redosing this drug. Uh, so I've looked into, you know, some other trials, and this is also based on institutional protocols, but it's typical to redose tocilizumab after eight hours if symptoms are not resolved um, in, in that time period. And you could repeat up to three doses in the first 24 hours, uh, so a maximum of three doses basically in that time period. So as I mentioned that corticosteroids and tocilizumab were kind of used in these uh, initial trials um, of where these CAR-T cells were uh, tested. So this study by Davila and colleagues from 2014 uh, looked into the efficacy and more importantly, toxicity management of TSA cell, specifically in B-cell ALL. So the criteria for CRS they used in this trial was a fever for at least three days, increase in cytokine levels, at least one clinical sign, uh, including hypoxia and neurologic disorder. And you might see that some of this is different to compared to what Devin talked about. And that's a trend that you're going to see in a lot of uh, other trials as well. So just to keep in mind while evaluating this data. So a total of uh, six patients actually uh, experienced CRS. The first three were um, uh, given corticosteroids at a dose of uh, greater than 100 milligrams of prednisone equivalent, and the other three were given tocilizumab. So the figure here on the left, uh, if you look at the yellow curve, it represents fever. So you can see that when steroids were administered, uh, you see a drop in uh, fever like right away. Uh, but then there was a tent for the fever to come back in one or two days, which uh, prompted additional use of steroids. What I also want you to notice is the black dots here, which uh, represent CAR T cell concentrations in the blood. So you notice that when steroids were given in these patients, it stopped the expansion of CAR T cells uh, in, in the blood or in the patient. And in fact, you can see those concentrations going down, maybe hinting towards the fact that steroids were preventing some of this uh, expansion and uh, persistence of CAR T cells in the blood and could potentially affect efficacy. Comparatively, if you look at tocilizumab, um, there were two doses administered in this patient I'm representing here on the right. You do see a decline in the, the fevers in this patient in one or two days, uh, but as you can see, the CAR-T cell concentrations are not impacted. So these cells continue to expand and persist, and uh, that would in turn not affect efficacy. So the key findings from this trial, uh, both steroids and tocilizumab rapidly reversed symptoms uh, within one to three days, as we saw, but steroids concurrently ablated CAR-T cells, whereas tocilizumab did not. 
They also looked at the bone marrows of these patients who received both therapies and found that there was a fivefold decrease in CAR T cells in the bone marrow of patients who were uh, treated with steroids. Again, maybe getting us thinking that is this affecting efficacy in these patients? Taking this uh, trial and then comparing it to what Devin talked about before, it makes sense why tocilizumab is you know, first, first line in all grades of uh, CRS. And then maybe in the grade three and grade four, more severe CRS, we are uh, trying to use corticosteroids because the risk benefit in this case uh, supports the uh, combination of these two drugs. So next, I'm going to talk about the study by Leah and colleagues from 2018, which was uh, one of the most important studies. And if you go back and look into some other uh, studies and trials, this is probably the one that has the most number of patients. Uh, so this was a retrospective analysis of nine clinical studies. So five of these studies uh, used TSSL as their CAR-T product, and four studies had AXSL. Both adult and pediatric patients who were greater than two years of, two years of age were included in this trial, and uh, tocilizumab was used at the standard dose. They only included patients who had severe or life-threatening CRS. Uh, so taking out or your uh, mild to moderate CRS patients, it left them with an efficacy evaluable population of 45 in the first arm and 15 in the second arm. The primary endpoint was response by day 14, which was defined as no fevers and being off of vasopressors for at least 24 hours. And then secondary outcome was response by uh, day two, day seven, 21, and then safety. Patients were um, you know, described as responsive if uh, the CRS resolved within 14 days of the first dose and then no more than two doses of tocilizumab being used in these patients. And just to give you an idea, about 15% patients in the trial actually required a third dose and they were excluded from uh, this evaluation. And then no, uh, no other drugs other than tocilizumab and corticosteroids uh, were used in these people as well. So because this was a retrospective trial that did not have a comparator arm, uh, the results are mostly descriptive. So uh, about 69% patients responded by day 14, which was our primary outcome uh, in the first arm, and then 53% in the axisal arm. About 20% responded by day two, about half of them responded by day seven, and again, 69% and 53% uh, by day 21. There were no reports of any adverse reactions that were attributable to tocilizumab, which was a good thing. But then we do have to look at the limitations of the trial being retrospective in design, having small number of patients. Uh, there was an inconsistent timing and dosing of tocilizumab administration. So each of the different studies had a different way they were doing things. And then uh, because the primary response was evaluated at day 14, it's kind of difficult to determine at this point if whether or not this is true response versus natural course of CRS resolution. And then lastly, fever and vasopressor were the uh, only variables assessed as part of response. Uh, but as we know, we do look at hypoxia as part of our guidelines now. So Divya, I kind of talked about, you know, guidelines recommending tocilizumab. You hinted to TOSI having FDA approval, but all I've seen so far is observational data, small numbers, so I guess my question is like, what gives? What's going on? 
Absolutely. Uh, and to uh, reveal this big surprise, but this was the trial that actually led to the FDA approval of this drug. And I totally agree with you, Devin. All of this data is retrospective. It wasn't really compared with any other um, agent where we were compared, com comparing efficacy of two agents at the same time. So we know it's efficacious, but whether or not it is the best drug on the market for treating um, CRS is a big question, and that's the reason why we're having this discussion today. So lastly, so we talked about the FDA approval. We talked about how tocilizumab works uh, in CRS. Uh, I guess the next question is, does it work in ICANS? So there's not a lot of uh, data out there. So the simple answer there is probably not. And mechanistically, it does make sense. So tocilizumab is, it's a monoclonal antibody. So it's a bigger molecule, doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier. Um, so it's uh, mechanistically, it makes sense that it wouldn't act in the CRS. So I was able to find this one trial, which was a phase one trial with, uh, that used T-cell in relapsed uh, refractory B-cell ALL. And as we expected, uh, grade three, four CRS happened in about 46% of patients in this trial, and then 33% were treated with tocilizumab. So it was great to see that, um, you know, symptoms resolve within the first four hours upon tocilizumab administration. This will differ based on uh, the trials that you looked at. Uh, but 70% patients only required one dose, which again is a big positive. However, 33% patients developed encephalopathy, so thinking about that ICANS picture, but unfortunately, none of them were really treated with tocilizumab. Uh, the median time to, you know, causing the symptoms or the symptoms uh, happening was about seven days, and most of it was self-limited. So in spite of not treating with tocilizumab, some of the symptoms, you know, self-resolved, and I think it was around day 18. So even though this trial, you know, told us that there were patients who were experiencing some ICANS because the drug wasn't really used to treat those patients. We can safely say that the efficacy data for tocilizumab and ICANS is uh, entirely lacking, and you might be able to go back and look at other trials and um, find the same thing. So then what about safety? Um, so, so the package insert uh, mentions all of these as potential side effects for tocilizumab. So increased rate of uh, infections is one of them. It is a black box warning. And uh, data from, so this data was based off of rheumatoid arthritis trials actually. So it tocilizumab was looked at in combination with other DMARDs or anti-rheumatic drugs. And that might tell us why a lot of these patients were having uh, infections. Encephalopathy from circulating IL-6, that's a theoretical concern right now, and Devin's going to talk more about it later. GI perforation, again, a lot of these patients were on concomitant NSAIDs, uh, corticosteroids, methotrexate, and as we know, those drugs can also increase the risk for uh, GI side effects. And then myelosuppression was, again, from rheumatoid arthritis trials in combination with other DMARDs. So at this point, again, recapping tocilizumab, we know that it's efficacious. Uh, it does have an FDA approval based on that one retrospective trial that we looked at. Uh, we know that it doesn't uh, work in ICANS or hasn't been studied in ICANS, but overall a pretty safe drug. So the questions that remain unanswered is, are there other agents that we can use for ICANS? And uh, do we have any other drugs that work better in CRS uh, compared to tocilizumab? So with that, I will hand over to Uzo for the next part of the presentation. Thank you, Divya. I think she really just mentioned it. While tocilizumab does have the FDA indication for CRS by that blockade of interleukin-6, it really 
only affects or has activity in CRS. It doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier, and uh, there's no evidence of its activity for patients who have ICANS. Now, high-grade ICANS is associated with worsened survival for patients, and when considering interleukin-1, um, for instance, this is shown to have some activity in CRS as well as ICANS. So this does make uh, a good argument for the use of anakinra. So anakinra is a recombinant interleukin-1 receptor antagonist as activated macrophages release interleukin-1. As you see, it binds to that interleukin-1 receptor causing uh, activation of the immune effector cell leading to, as was previously described, that cytokine storm that can occur. Through the use of anakinra as that interleukin-1 receptor antagonist binds to the receptor and prevents the attachment of that interleukin-1 on the receptor, preventing this immune cell uh, activation. This does slow the interleukin-1-derived CRS and ICANS and then halts this cytokine storm process that can occur. So when we're thinking about cytokine release, T CAR T cells are given, there's proliferation that occurs, and then CRS occurs. As we can see, as far as the interleukins, interleukin-1 is actually released prior to interleukin-6. And so this can potentially be a beneficial interleukin to target primarily to interleukin-6. So anakinra was FDA approved for rheumatoid arthritis in 2001. It also holds an additional FDA indication in neonatal inflammatory disease. It's also used off-label for multiple indications, probably most notable in patients with COVID-19 to prevent that cytokine storm, uh, as well as improvement in uh, respiratory distress. Additionally, it is shown to cross the blood-brain barrier in vitro. So what evidence do we have? Uh, typically, Anakinra is used in more of a refractory setting. And so Gazelle and colleagues can, uh, conducted a retrospective study and they looked at two anakinra dosing strategies for refractory CRS or ICANS after CAR T cell therapy administration. Patients either received 100 to 200 milligrams per day subcutaneously, which is the low dose or the higher dose at eight milligrams per kilogram per day subcutaneously or intravenously. These patients had B-cell or plasma cell malignancies, and they received CD19-directed CAR T-cell therapies or investigational BCMA or CD19-targeted agents. All of the patients who received high-dose anakinra did receive prior tocilizumab and corticosteroids, and majority of the patients who received low-dose anakinra also uh, received prior treatment with these agents. In this study, Majority of the patients did have steroid refractory ICANs. Uh, two patients had refractory CRS, and there was one patient that did have both. So what they found was medium time to anakinra start was four days for CRS or ICANs, and they received a median of 8.5 days of treatment. As far as the response to anakinra for CRS or ICANS, there was a resolution. 73% uh, of all patients did have a resolution. And, and specifically in the patients who had high-dose anakinra, there was 100% uh, resolution of CRS or ICANS. For low-dose anakinra, they did see a little bit less than half of, uh, of response for those patients. What they found was high-dose anakinra was associated with the resolution of CRS and ICANS. 
there is this thought, some cytokines are thought to help with the proliferation of CAR T cells. So there's a theoretical concern that with the use of an interleukin receptor antagonist, it could potentially uh, decrease the activity of CAR T cells. But what they did see here was 53% of patients had a complete response that were treated with high dose anakinra. So this uh, perhaps does support the idea that patients can receive uh, anakinra with this interleukin-1 receptor antagonism without uh, concern for the response to CAR T cell therapy. Lastly, there for the patients treated with low-dose anakinra, 38% of those patients did die from infections. Uh, but there is something to keep in mind. These patients uh, are heavily pretreated um, with lymphodepleting chemotherapy, as was mentioned by Devin previously. Limitations to this study. Uh, this study, and as you'll see with most of the studies mentioned, they're a very small patient population. And this was also a retrospective study that um, by its nature did have some missing data. Next, we have Strati and colleagues. And this was a retrospective study and they looked at the efficacy to mitigate, mitigate CAR T cell therapy toxicity in large B cell lymphoma. Patients either had high-grade ICANs or HLH, uh, with HLH being hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis. And this is also a rare disease that um, is has an inflammatory process. And there's also uh, this association with CRS and the use of CAR T cell therapy. Patients received AxiCell as their CAR T cell agent, and they had relapsed or refractory uh, disease. In the HLH population, all of those patients receive tocilizumab or corticosteroids, and majority of the patients who had high-grade ICANs did receive previous treatment. One thing to keep in mind with the patients in this study, the steroids were continued um, when they were uh, initiated on anakinra. So here they saw a me median of 12 days until anakinra start um, after CAR T-cell and their CAR T cell infusion, and patients were on a median of seven days of anakinra. The median daily dose was 100 milligrams subcutaneously daily. As far as the ICANS response is concerned, 66.7% of patients did experience a clinical benefit. For the patients who did have HLH, there was no benefit that was observed in this uh, patient population. Additionally, 50% of all patients had disease response. And uh, all patients with disease response did receive uh, anakinra for high-grade ICANs. One interesting thing that they did find with these patients, patients who had early elevated LDH were associated with lower clinical efficacy, uh, as is shown as here um, on the chart on the right. Limitations for this study, similar. So this is a small patient population with only you know, eight patients and really only six who had ICANs. And then additionally, there was this continued use of steroids. So this uh, you know, kind of muddies the picture on what's driving that resolution of ICANs for these patients, because as was previously mentioned, for patients with ICANs um, receive steroids as well. Lastly, this brings me to my last study, which is a retrospective study by Rarely and colleagues. And this is the use of anakinra and steroid refractory ICANs. These patients received a CD19, uh, these patients had CD19 positive uh, hematologic malignancies. They received AxiCell or TISA cell. 
patients received 100 to 200 milligrams subcutaneously daily up to three days. And these patients either had ICANs uh, only or ICANs with CRS. And as we can see, majority of the patients did have ICANs alone. Majority of patients did receive corticosteroids and a little under half of the patients received tocilizumab. Similar to the previous study, steroids were continued here as well um, after anakinra was initiated. So the median days to anakinra initi initiation was 8.5 and the median uh, number of doses of anakinra was three. For the CRS and ICANS response, 64% of patients showed reduction in peak ICANS or refractory CRS within one day of the last anakinra dose with, um, you know, as I previously mentioned, median doses were three for anakinra. So what they found here was an improvement in CRS, and this includes fever. And then they also looked at clinical correlates of toxicity. So they looked at C-reactive protein and ferritin following the use of anakinra. Another thing they did look at was reductions in um, interleukin-1, and they did observe uh, reductions in patients' interleukin-1. Limitations here uh, include the fact that they did use uh, some surrogate markers here, so using CRP and ferritin, uh, as well as the small patient population. And then once again, that continued use of steroids uh, muddies the picture a little bit to know what is really driving that response. So Uzo, you mentioned, I remember in the first slide, that the levels of IL-1 uh, increase before the levels of IL-6, and I feel like that's part of the benefit of anakinra. So why do you think these trials haven't looked at upfront anakinra yet? Yeah. You know, that's a really good question, and I would have to say they're, they're getting there. So there is um, different studies. We have Wong and colleagues. And so this was an abstract that was a post hoc analysis of the CARTITUDE trial. And they did observe that patients were administered anakinra within 48 hours. And these patients actually had a 95% resolution of their CRS. Olaying colleagues was an abstract with patients with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, and patients initiated anakinra prior to developing severe ICANs. They did find benefit in those patients who received anakinra prior um, to developing grade three ICANs. And then lastly, there is an ongoing uh, trial, and this is a prospective trial, which is much needed in the setting. And so they are looking at preventative anakinra and looking at patients who uh, preventative therapy for patients with ICANs of any grade or patients with grade two or greater CRS. This leads us to our next assessment question. Interleukin-6 and interleukin-1 cytokine release can cause CRS and ICANs. Interleukin-1 has been demonstrated to be released prior to interleukin-6. Which of the following medications is used as a first-line option in patients with CRS according to ASTCT guidelines? A, tocilizumab, B, dexamethasone, C, sultuximab, or D, anakinra? Okay, it looks like it uh, was almost unanimous, but... Uh, uh, tocilizumab is the correct answer. This is what's used in CRS, although there was that mention of interleukin-1 um, being released prior to interleukin-6, uh, tocilizumab holds that FDA indication. It's used primarily, as mentioned in majority of the studies uh, that I mentioned, it's used in the relapsed refractory setting. Uh, dexamethasone uh, can be used, but this is definitely later down the line 
for patients with uh, grade three uh, CRS, and then anakinra, anakinra is used in the refractory setting. And then finally, siltuximab, we haven't mentioned, um, but I will allow Devin to introduce us to that medication now. All right. So Uza just talked about, I think there's a lot of good pharmacology, right, with IL-1 blockade, and it makes sense that maybe we should look at that in the first line. Uh, we're comfortable with tocilizumab. We've used that for a long time. That's our guideline-directed agent. But it's not just tocilizumab that targets this IL-6 pathway. So that's what brings us to siltuximab. So toximab has a little bit different mechanism of action. And I think a more interesting pharmacology from an ICANN standpoint in that it binds it's an antibody directed directly against IL-6. Now, this is circulating IL-6 or membrane-bound IL-6. So it's not directly hitting and binding to that receptor, thereby shutting down the same system and working on the same pathway as tocilizumab. But I think where the benefit is, is when we look over bringing back to a figure from before at where we think and what we think the cause of ICANS is, is siltuximab can bind to circulating IL-6 and potentially, if used in the early enough line setting, I think there's a lot of pharmacologic basis for having efficacy and prevention or treatment of ICANS because we can actually get to it before that crossing of the blood-brain barrier and result in neurotoxicity. So siltuximab, we have a lot less clinical familiarity with it. It was FDA approved and only has a single FDA uh, indication in 2014 for multicentric Castleman's disease. That's a disease that relies heavily on IL-6, so it makes sense that it's approved in that setting. Uh, it is a monoclonal antibody, so I don't want to confuse people. I don't expect this to cross the blood-brain barrier still. But again, going back to the theory, if we used it in the frontline setting, maybe there's a lot more grounds and basis for this. And I think most clinicians actually do have some familiarity with using this because in 2021, we had a tocilizumab shortage. Getting back to the problem, we only, if we only have two drugs as an option for treatment of CRS, you have a shortage, your entire first-line treatment goes away. So we're left with these more experimental things that we have left, less data on, but a lot of people have anecdotal or clinical experience with it. So if I compare them side by side to just from a pharmacologic basis, why we think this might be also a very effective strategy. With tocilizumab, we bind to that IL-6 receptor. In theory, by binding that IL-6 receptor, you could actually increase your circulating IL-6 and increase these cytokines, at least in the transient or immediate setting right after that CAR T-cell activation. So the question, all theoretically grounded, I don't think we've shown this in any studies, is could it actually increase your risk of ICANS by giving tocilizumab in certain circumstances? So toximab, by binding to those circulating IL-6 within the bloodstream, theoretically would have a lower risk for ICANS, be able to work still at the receptor level, level by blocking out and blocking that signaling cascade downstream of IL-6, but potentially would have a lower ICANS risk, so help with one of our common toxicities related to CAR T-cell therapy. The problem is this is practically all theoretically based. We don't have trials. We don't have prospective or even good retrospective trials. So what I have to show you on the screen here is two of these are abstracts and are not available in full publication. So I don't have all the details, but I think it's important to mention. Um, and then the second one in the middle there is a case report. Uh, it's actually with a bispecific T-cell engager. So similar toxicity mechanism, but different product than CAR T-cell therapy. Uh, the first study is a retrospective abstract that was presented last year. Uh, it Basically, they took and looked at that period of shortage with tocilizumab, looked at their outcomes with siltuximab versus tocilizumab, 
they have comparable numbers to a lot of these prior studies that we mentioned. Um, and really, there's only so much I can glean from the abstract, but they saw no differences in efficacy uh, with regards to neurotoxicity and numerically fewer patients receiving siltuximab only required a single dose, where more patients required two or more doses of tocilizumab. So if you look at the percentage-wise, it seems promising up front or at least comparable. So I think it's worth giving it a try in the first-line setting. Um, to my knowledge, the only place we're doing that is a single center that's running a phase two right now where they are doing that. They're looking at siltuximab in the first line setting, enrolling patients. Um, it's been slow, it seems like, to enrollment. Uh, they did publish in an abstract that their first six patients, basically five out of six, most of the patients responded with regards to CRS, and three out of four that developed ICANs later on had resolution uh, relatively quickly. So potentially some promise there, but really we're limited by the data. So that brings us to our final assessment question. Which of the following cytokines does siltuximab predominantly target? I expect everyone to get this one right. Looks great. So very mechanistically, IL-1 is the one that pathway that anakinra targets. IL-10 uh, is probably a cytokine, but we kind of made it up in the setting. Uh, TNF-alpha has been looked at, and we do have some data looking at TNF-alpha inhibitors that has not really panned out clinically. To conclude and compare kind of across the treatment strategies, I want to take a step back on the whole pathway and mechanism of CAR T-cell therapy. So we have this initial activation of these CAR T-cells. They release cytokines. Downstream of that, we have activated macrophages that then release a bunch of other cytokines that then go down to activate other components of our adaptive immune system. We have siltuximab that comes in and binds earliest in the pathway there, where we have the binding of IL-6, circulating IL-6. We have anakinron that binds to IL-1 receptors and tocilizumab that binds to IL-6 receptors. When I look at all these agents across the board, we only have one, tocilizumab, that's FDA approved. Uh, that's our only option if we're going to do things on label, and we really have limited data across all these settings. There are zero randomized controlled trials, right? A gold standard of care for any FDA approval. We have none across the board, including tocilizumab. These are very small observational studies that we've presented today that backs our use of this in clinical practice. And I think one of the big things is that if we're only limiting ourselves to that one agent, should we be studying this in frontline settings? Clinical experience, definitely people are more comfortable using tocilizumab. That's what's been used in all the clinical trials to date. Um, probably more clinical experience with the use of anakinra. Um, we've used that in the relapse refractory setting for a while now. It's one of our go-tos if a patient's not responding to tocilizumab, which is another gap in therapy. Lots of patients, a good proportion of patients don't respond to tocilizumab. Um, so that'll be used in that setting. So there's a little bit of familiarity, but we're not quite sure how to dose it, I would say, in clinical practice. Um, and siltuximab is mostly anecdotal data. So from that period of shortage where providers were kind of forced into using an alternative option like siltuximab, um, we have a little bit of experience, but not a ton. Uh, efficacy and ICANs, I think this is where there's kind of more of a push, I think, to using different agents and trialing at least different agents in the frontline setting. Is that tocilizumab we've demonstrated over and over. There's probably not a lot of efficacy in that setting. 
and Akinra and Siltuximab both have, at least from a theoretical and pharmacological perspective, a potential for efficacy in preventing or treating neurotoxicity. And then across the board, uh, when you look at safety signals, it's very hard because of the confounding variables like the chemotherapy and things like that um, to actually attribute safety or problems with safety to any of these agents specifically. So we, in general, think that these are very safe to use in the setting, but we would need prospective trials, right, to say otherwise. Um, so I'll just leave everyone with really what we wanted to do here, stimulate discussion and a thought process about should we be bringing these agents more into the front line, trialing different things, because right now we're left with just two drugs, tocilizumab and corticosteroids, and that's our only options in the frontline setting. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds. Join us weekly for more exciting clinical pharmacology topics.